You're listening to East Bay Yesterday, the podcast that looks back at stories from Oakland, Berkeley, Richmond, and other towns throughout Alameda and Contra Costa County. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. A few weeks ago, my wife Elizabeth, who you guys met a few episodes back, told me, Liam, you've got to do a scary stories episode for Halloween. There's an enormously popular podcast that's also produced in Oakland called Snap Judgment. They do spooky stories every Halloween, and those episodes are always Elizabeth's favorites. I thought it was a good idea, but I've got a bunch of other East Bay history stories that I'm in the middle of working on, so I was kind of reluctant to put all those on hold to try to track down some Oakland ghost stories. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. Elizabeth was like, you've got to talk to my friend Mike. His family lived in a cemetery in Oakland. So I thought, okay, I'll send Mike a text. Maybe he's got a good story that I can record real quick. Here's what I wrote. Hey, Mike. I'm looking for a spooky story for my East Bay History podcast, and Liz said, you might be a good source due to your connection with the cemetery. Ghost emoji, skull emoji, ghost emoji. For all my elder listeners, if you don't know what an emoji is, ask your grandkids. Here's Mike's response. Quote, I wish I had scary stories about living there, but it was actually the safest and most peaceful place I've ever lived. The only time it got weird or scary was during Halloween when white kids would break in at night to dig up skulls for their Halloween props, end quote. Oh my God. Did you just hear that? Grave robbers in Oakland? Oh, hells yeah. Sorry, I would probably get sued if I used the real X-Files music, but I hope they have a good sense of humor about that thing that I just did. Okay, so Mike tells me that I should talk to one of his cousins instead, because he only lived in the cemetery for a few years, but some of his cousins actually grew up living there from the time they were born until when they went away to college. I was like, cool. Sounds great, and I schedule an interview with his cousin Loretta over text message. A few nights later, I get a knock at my door at the time I'm supposed to interview Loretta, and we've never met or even talked before. I have no idea what to expect. So I open the door, and Loretta isn't like fully goth or anything, but she's wearing all black, very fashionable, kind of like an outfit from the first Matrix movie. And she's got black fingernails and a choker. And she's Vietnamese-American, so of course her hair is very dark. But the front part is dyed this super blonde, like almost white. And it's kind of arranged in this explosion over her eyes. So (laughs) I guess what I'm saying, uh, she kind of looks like someone who grew up in a graveyard. Just to set the tone... Here's a clip of Loretta describing what the cemetery is like during the winter rainy season. It's super gloomy and it's, it's, yeah, and it's just wet and dark and very, 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 very somber. 
I don't know. It was kind of beautiful, too, though. The cemetery that she's talking about is St. Mary's. You know how if you go up Piedmont Avenue until it dead ends, you hit Mountain View Cemetery? The giant famous cemetery that everybody knows because it was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, the landscape architect who also did Central Park in New York? St. Mary's is right next to Mountain View. They share a fence, and it's actually a few years older. It opened in 1863, making St. Mary's Oakland's oldest surviving cemetery. There's one house inside the grounds of St. Mary's. Yes, in case you were wondering, it is an old and spooky house. And this is the house where Loretta grew up. I was kind of expecting this to be a pretty short interview. I mean, how long does it take to tell a story about teenagers or whatever trying to dig up corpses and steal their skulls? And then Loretta told me that she doesn't even remember the grave robbing stories that well. So I was pretty disappointed. But we ended up talking for a while. Because even though Loretta didn't know much about the Bone Bandits, she had a lot of interesting things to say about growing up in Oakland's oldest cemetery. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're expecting campfire horror stories about ghosts or haunted hitchhikers or whatever, sorry, these aren't those kinds of stories. But what are all those stories really about? Fear, right? At their very core, they're all about what makes us afraid, what makes us scared. And that's what this Halloween episode of East Bay Yesterday is going to explore. The nature of fear. So stay tuned. Unless you're too scared. Fear is really all about vulnerability, right? When you're scared, what you're really thinking is, I'm in a position where something bad could happen to me. Something could hurt me. As I mentioned earlier, Loretta grew up in a big old creaky house inside a cemetery, and this little memory she shared is such a great example of vulnerability equals fear. The attic was crazy. It was just like... It, there was a there was an opening from like the main bathroom upstairs. You know how you like pushed a little board away and then you can climb up there. Sometimes they would we would get bats and rats up there, and so we would hear them running around, and it would just like freak me out so bad. And then on occasion, I have no idea why we would just have the board kind of moved over a little bit. And then I would go into the bathroom, like trying to fucking take a piss. And I'm like, I, I look up and I'm just like, ah, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I'm going to let this story play a little bit longer because it's a good example of how the things that freak out adults, the things that make them feel vulnerable, are often so different than the things that creep kids out. 
And then I remember one time my brother got this huge Michael Jordan poster, like more than life size. And I remember my brother decided to like pin it up in the bathroom. And then my mom and dad thought that was scary. And I'm like, look at where we live. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't, it didn't make any sense. It really didn't. It had, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, the whole house was just like really run down on the inside. Like paint was kind of peeled off. And my mom. Here's one more set of stories very ridiculous stories that illustrate how vast the chasm is between what scares kids and what scares adults. And just backing up a moment, the reason I'm doing this is because our fears have such a huge part in making us who we are. I'll get back to that idea later, but the things that scare us influence our personalities in a lot of ways, sometimes in ways we're not even aware of. But okay, I know you didn't come here for a psychology 101 lecture, so on with the stories. Do you remember there was like a period of time in the 80s where, you know, there was like this whole conspiracy theory, right? So it's like Elvis Presley never died. Everyone just was saying like he's not dead. Sorry to jump in. Just a real quick pause here for the benefit of my younger listeners. If you were alive in the 1980s, you know what she's talking about. Those supermarket tabloid magazines at the checkout counter, like National Enquirer and those kinds of rags, back in the day, there were quote-unquote pictures of Elvis on the cover of, like, every issue, proving, proving that he faked his death or came back to life or whatever, and Elvis was, like, living in a trailer park in Ohio or on some tropical island or anyway, yeah. This weird phenomenon that Loretta is describing was huge. Okay. Back to the story. I remember thinking like, this is fucking crazy. People who die should just stay dead because now I'm thinking about them like they are floating around. They came back from the dead and I'm not okay with this. And so I remember they shot this picture like I was watching TV, you know, with, I was young. And they were like showing this picture of him actually out and about and that they had caught him on camera. And so I remember seeing this picture and it was kind of like fuzzy and um, and then I remember, you know, like I, I described to you, I had this like enormous like garden with like our twin plum trees and it kind of went up like at an incline. And so there's like a little stone pathway that was at the top of it. So I remember one day, I think I may have climbed down from the plum tree and I got to like, you know, the little pathway that led back to the house. And, and I could swear to God, I like my heart stopped and I was like, oh my God, Elvis Presley's in the house and I could see him behind the screen door. And I'm so scared to go down there right now, but I can't even tell anybody. <laughs> I know it sounds silly now, but I was so scared. I was like, I think whatever television program I watched is true because I think I just saw him and I'm so scared right now. I just, I can't move. You're a kid. You're confused about death. Your imagination takes over, and boom, your tiny little brain manifests a zombie Elvis, and now you're terrified of the king. Who knows, maybe this silly childhood fright is why you develop a distaste for polyester jumpsuits later in life. The mind works in mysterious ways. Anyway, Loretta told me that she could never quite enjoy Elvis the same way after this sighting. This next story flips the script. It shows how some things that kids think are totally fine absolutely terrify adults. It starts with Loretta explaining how her and her siblings 
got to know some of the regulars. You know, the people that came to mourn at the graveyard frequently. There was this woman, she always wore like this kind of <clears throat> velvety or like furry kind of black hat. And she'd come and she befriended my sister and I. And she was just this sweet woman, you know. She was there to see her husband. And she would give my sister and I like each a quarter almost every single time we would see her. You know, on the surface, she seems a bit strange because she's like this woman in like weird fur outfits and she has these like dark shades and I don't even really remember seeing her eyes and she just give us like a quarter. And I remember one time I was being a silly kid and you know, I didn't have pockets, I guess. So I stuck it in my mouth and I remember coming inside the house and my grandmother was speaking to me and I spoke back to her with a quarter in my mouth. And she was like, what is in your mouth? And I said, oh, the woman outside gave me a quarter. And like, I swear to God, my grandmother was paranoid. She swore up and down that it was dirty and she probably put poison on it. And I was like, I'm like, why are you yelling at me? Like, I really thought the woman was really nice. Come on. Loretta's grandma probably didn't really think that the quarter was poisoned, right? Her grandma was probably just trying to scare her into not putting germy things into her mouth. Parents do this all the time. Think back to all those horrifying Grimm's fairy tales about kids wandering off into the forest and getting eaten by witches and anthropomorphic wolves and whatnot. The moral to all those stories was don't wander too far from the house because something terrible could happen to you. The lesson here is that fear is power. If you know how to create fear in other people, you can have power over them. Again, maybe not an earth-shattering revelation, but uh, without getting on my soapbox for too long, I'll just mention quickly that a lot of politicians seem to understand this trick, and a lot of people who vote for them don't. Another angle on the relationship between fear and power is that thing where not being afraid of something that other people are afraid of makes you feel powerful, and maybe even gives you real power. By conquering fear, you get to be a hero. Loretta has a memory to illustrate this point as well. I remember when we would round people up in the cemetery that were stragglers, and sometimes we'd miss people because sometimes there might be some people probably kneeling down or behind a gravestone and we didn't see them. And so sometimes they'd stay there pretty late, and then you would hear after you know we've already had dinner like someone honking the horn like crazy like they were panicking it was like they were completely freaked out because they thought they were trapped in the cemetery <laughs> for the evening and so sometimes we would come out running to the gate and i just felt like i was a hero being like three foot five or whatever i was at the time and I would let them out and they just seemed so grateful because they were so happy that they didn't have to spend the night in the cemetery. <laughs> you would see the relief on their faces when we would show up, these little mint munchkins, like letting people out. You might be wondering how Loretta's family, the Nguyen family, came to spend three decades living in a cemetery. Well, the truth is that her father spit on an old lady who turned out to be a witch, and she cursed them to live amongst the dead, and okay, 
I'm obviously just kidding. The real story is that her family lived in Vietnam until the fall of Saigon. Her parents were able to escape the war, and because they were Catholic, the church got them this arrangement where they could stay in this empty house in exchange for helping take care of the cemetery. Loretta was the second youngest out of eight children, and she was born the year after her folks arrived in Oakland. I was curious if Loretta felt like an outsider growing up, being the daughter of immigrants, living inside a cemetery, you know, kids can be mean, but this gets back to how fear can sometimes play in your favor. I was surprised that when you were in school, you never got, like, had to, or maybe you did, problems with people being like, oh, there's the cemetery girl, where's the girl? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, people would tell other people about it, but you know what I think it was? I think it was a little bit like, I'm not 100% sure, but I wonder if it kind of gave us a little bit of credibility. Like, don't fuck with them. You know, they know something we don't know. They're, they have access to, you know, another dimension <laughs> that we don't know. So we should just be nice to this family. <laughs> I wonder. Like, you can like, we'll bury you. If you exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a little later in life, she was able to make use of this living situation to test potential sweethearts to see if they were brave enough to make the cut. It was kind of fun because when I got older, it would be like a test for me. Like if I'm dating a boy and I'm like, I live in the cemetery, you should come visit me. And then they come and then it, when they freak out, I'm like, oh my God, you're such a pussy. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> of course, the reason why Loretta wasn't creeped out by the cemetery anymore was because it was familiar to her. A lot of things that are scary at first become mundane once we're used to them. Familiarity kills fear. And this is why people are always told to confront their fears. By this point in her life, Loretta had learned that the main thing to be scared of in the graveyard was other people. There was one day in particular, I don't remember how old I was, probably about 11. It was, I have no idea what time it was, in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden I just heard this guy outside, or like two people, and then I kept hearing these conversations happening in the front. Um, but we, I just kept hearing voices back and forth, back and forth, like having these full-on conversations. And I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is, who the hell is that? And so I think I remember my brother Carl and I um, went downstairs to call the police. And then when the police showed up, I think they had to hop the gate because the gates were closed. And this was going on for a while. So we were waiting for somebody to show up. And this guy was like knocking and banging on the door and talking to it. There was like, it sounded like two people talking to themselves, like have full in conversations. And it turns out it was just one person and he was like half naked and he, they had to like take him away. And apparently I think he was just completely like messed up, tweaked out on drugs and I didn't know what was going on and it totally freaked me out and like I think we were all scared because we didn't know what was going to happen I didn't know he was going to get inside or not him but they because it sounded like they <laughs> so that was kind of like freaked me out and then I realized after that I think I'm more scared of people than I am of like you know actual spirit ghosts another story that illustrates this point really does sound like the plot of a horror film, or at least a thriller. One day there was just cops just just basically 
banged on our door, had my dad like let them in. There was like cop cars circling the entire cemetery and they were doing this whole like chase down because there was like a bunch of convicts. I don't know exactly what they did, but they ran into the cemetery. And so this is whole thing that was going all night long with helicopters flying above our house. We're told not to leave and that these convicts were, you know, really dangerous. And so we were like, oh my God, <laughs> this is nuts, you know? And I don't know, I think one or two did get caught at some point, um, but that did happen. The ultimate fear, the universal fear, the fear that unites us all is the fear of death. Now, I know that many religions and cultures have wonderful stories about how the afterlife is going to be awesome. And even atheists are like, I'm not afraid of death, it's just nothingness, bro. But come on, everybody is at least a little bit scared of dying. Most of us deal with this fear by avoiding it. We try not to dwell on the fact that we're all going to be worm food or ashes someday. And as a society, we definitely try to protect little kids from the knowledge of death, at least as long as possible. But growing up in a cemetery, Loretta was confronted by death constantly. She was forced to face the cold, hard facts pretty early on. During the day, I never felt really afraid. It was usually in the evenings, and sometimes I would stay out too late, like on my bike, and then sometimes I would get creeped out because I'd see mounds of dirt on the side of the road, and I know that they were just excavating the, the ground just to make so that someone then the next day would get buried there. So it's a little weird, <laughs> you know? So then you'd freak out and you imagine all these crazy things in your head and just get freaked about. Like, I'm already thinking about mortality by the time I was like, you know, six. The reality of death didn't really hit me, even though I was living in a cemetery at that point until like the seventh year of my life when my grandmother passed away. She was the first person to have died that was close to me. And that, that probably spooked me out more than anything. And she was buried just down the hill from our house. And I didn't understand it. I kept thinking that I could see her all the time. And it, it just, you know, disorienting as a child, like to fathom like what happens to people when they die, like they just disappear. Like what, I just saw her at the hospital. Like, wait a minute, she was just here in this room. Like it just didn't make any sense. When we're thinking about death, we're not afraid of pain. Those shivers that run up and down your spine when you have a momentary lapse into the existential dread of dying aren't because you fear violence or discomfort. It's a fear of the unknown. Things we don't know or can't understand confuse us. And this confusion manifests itself in all kinds of weird ways, especially when we're kids. Loretta's response to her grandma's death is a perfect example of this. And it's kind of a long walk through a very spooky basement to get to the point of this story, but stick with me and don't be scared. I'll hold your hand. Because I have a very um, wild imagination. <laughs> uh, so after my grandmother died in 1984, I literally, f I was 
freaked out. I like started having nightmares and I just could swear I would see shit all the time. This house was enormous that we lived in and there was this basement downstairs and the basement was like the freakiest thing you've ever seen. There was this old iron like furnace down there. It's dark, there's cobwebs. And so these steps that would go down from, like if you go into the front door of our house, there's like a little door that you open up and it goes into this like really dark, tiny little kind of room. And there would be a light with like, you know, one of those poles. And, um, and we would just have a bunch of junk in there. And then you'd open this other little tiny door that led down this like, like narrow steps that were kind of steep. And it, it was just, it was horrible. Like, uh, but we would store stuff down there and on occasion I'd have to go down there and I'd go down the steps, but then like, you'd have to reach your hand to turn on the switch. But it was so dark down there that I was always scared that like when I, reached my hand out to turn on the light of this like dank, you know, dark kind of like mothbally, dusty like basement that there was going to be a hand that was going to come on and grab my hand when I turned the lights and it always freaked me out. I think sometimes I try to act like big and bad like I got this, I'm going to go down there, I'm going to face my fears, I'm not going to be scared. I've got this, there's nothing going on down there. And then, you know, as you get older, people like your friends are telling you about like, you know, horror films that they've seen, you know, have you seen like Jason or, you know, I don't know, just crazy ass, like the poltergeist. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking about all these crazy things and it's like running through my head. It was like kind of a little bit like a maze. And I, I don't think my parents really kept that space up very well. I think they just kind of like adding more junk to it like over the years and they lived there for so long too, like for almost 30 years. I just want to pause the story real quick to set the scene a little. Loretta told me that her dad used to go to flea markets at Laney College and the Coliseum all the time. And he would bring back random crap. Weird knick-knacky things, household like tools that like are so old that they were probably made in like 1945. Old stuff. Things that you couldn't use, like random things that just didn't work anymore. From televisions to probably, you know, uh, record players to sometimes like kids' toys. So I'm picturing like old ragdoll babies missing eyes impaled on rusty pitchforks. It probably wasn't that bad, but let's really let our imaginations run wild. Okay, back to the story. And that was like the freakiest place I ever, 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 ever been. And I don't know why it had to look that way. I always like imagine in my head, I'm like, well, they should really upgrade this place because it's so scary. And it would be kind of like dirt. So like there, it wasn't paved or anything. And there would be like kind of like dirt in this space, but like old, I don't know, cement that like they partially cemented. And it, part of it would kind of raise up at a higher level. And as you go deeper, so the whole entire basement level wasn't leveled. It like got like normal height to like, as it got skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. So when you walked into another room in the basement and you look far across the way, it just gets so small that I think it's only like about three feet high. So I would imagine crazy like witches and ghouls and sometimes even once I imagined my grandmother and I totally had a meltdown. I don't think I even told anybody because I was so scared. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think I had a good relationship with my grandmother. She's coming back to haunt me. 
One of the arguments you often hear from supporters of organized religion is that people need to be scared of consequences in order for civilization to function. If people aren't scared of eternal damnation or being reincarnated as a dung beetle or whatever, society would crumble because there would be nothing to stop people from killing each other. Fear on a mass scale is necessary to keep people in line. Loretta was raised Catholic, and I asked her if she's still religious. She told me that she doesn't really go to church anymore, but she still thinks that there are good lessons to be learned from Jesus and the Bible. You know, like the golden rule and those kinds of basic things that all religions pretty much agree on. She also said something else that I found interesting. I don't think that, you know, there's a hell. I think hell resides in um, us being mortals, like in our everyday. Like we can make our lives hell. Mm -hmm. And we often do and not even realize it. One of the most famous expressions from the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre is this, quote, hell is other people. A lot of people think that this basically just means that other people suck. And if you're like on a crowded airplane, this interpretation can totally make sense. But there's another way of looking at this quote, hell is other people, which is our awareness of what other people think of us is the ultimate punishment because this is what causes shame. And shame is painful and a big part of self-awareness. So in other words, we are hell. We create it. And there's no escape from our own minds. No exit. See? I told you this episode was going to get scary. But on the real, I think this is why we keep ourselves so distracted. Our memories haunt us. I mean, shit. We even call the bad parts of our own past demons. So I just want to thank Loretta for talking with me and digging up all these old memories. Because really, what we find inside of ourselves can be a lot more scary than anything we'd find in a graveyard. You've just sort of opened a can of worms here, Liam, because I'm going to go to sleep tonight and I'm going to think about all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> That's oh, probably good. that I hadn't thought about in a long time, <laughs> especially now since it's October and, you know, everything is getting like darker and cooler. P.S. A few days after our interview, I got this email from Loretta and yeah, I'll just leave it there. She wrote, quote, Now I totally remember the unearthing of dead bodies after talking to Mike. I can't believe I forgot all this info. For years, the cemetery manager hired a private security team to patrol the cemetery during Halloween. My uncle also worked in the maintenance team at the cemetery, and I vaguely remember how disturbing it was for the crew to show up to work and discover the findings.
Thanks for listening to East Bay Yesterday. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. For this episode, I want to thank Loretta Nguyen and Mike Tran, and I also want to thank my wife Elizabeth for convincing me to do this one. As always, I want to give a shout out to everybody who is working hard to keep Oakland history alive through projects like the Oakland Wiki, the Oakland Cultural Heritage Survey, the Oakland Heritage Alliance, the History Room at the Oakland Library, and Oakland Urban Paths, a group that leads some awesome walking tours all about Oakland. Thanks again to Front Group Design for the East Bay Yesterday logo, and Bruce Paul for helping me set up the website. Also, thanks to everybody who has been helping to spread the word about East Bay Yesterday. You guys are the only way this show will continue to grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share it. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow East Bay Yesterday on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and leave a comment or rating. It means a lot. If you know someone who should be listening to this show, but doesn't really grasp how podcast technology works, do a good deed today and show them how to listen. If you have feedback on today's show, or you want to suggest a topic for a future episode, drop me a line on the social media channel of your choice. The music for this episode came from Jeff Harvey, Mons Jasset, Studio Noir, Lee Rosevier, Audio Binger, and Anatech. Please support these amazing artists. One more thing. This little clip didn't really fit into the episode, but I asked Loretta about her family situation back in Vietnam, and uh, this sounds like it could be the plot of a really wacky sitcom. My dad actually, um, I don't know what you would call him exactly here, but he was more like kind of like a medicine man, and he, they, he would treat people with things. He was like kind of more like a, like if you had an ailment, you'd t- tell him what was wrong with you, he'd you know, prescribe you some kind of medicine or give you shots. Um, and then he also, like, um, cut hair. And he also extracted teeth. <laughs> so he was kind of like a hairdresser. Um, and he ran, a, he, was, he ran his own little, you know, salon slash dentist office slash medicine office downstairs. And he built, like, one of the, I guess at that time, the tallest, like, house on his street in Saigon. And they had like this multi-leveled home and apparently it was like a zoo. They had like animals everywhere and, you know, like my parents had like a...